my great-uncle thrice removed, Douglas Seaver Douglas, was among the very first cosplayers out there. So inspired by Emmanuel Kepper's automatic butter-churning device, Douglas spent hours watching the thing do its work, measuring each mesmerizing pump up and down, up and down. He took meticulous notes and drew the machine from every angle, capturing the nuance of its leather belts and iron gears. It was a thing to behold. When Kepper's eldest boy, Ronald, caught him sketching one evening around dusk, furiously writing in his notebook beneath the light of an old lamp fueled by whale oil, Ronnie mistakenly thought he was trying to steal the idea. Douglas couldn't explain himself fast enough and was chased off with a switch from a nearby elm. Douglas didn't want to copy the machine. He wanted to become the machine. Imagine Emmanuel and Ronnie's faces the following spring when they came out to retrieve fresh butter and instead found two exact copies of the butter-churning device, except one clearly had a face, painted the same color as the wooden barrel, and two eyes peering up at them, and legs and arms, and no butter. It was, to say the least, alarming. But sometimes our passions get the better of us. Sometimes they lead to great things. Sometimes you end up sitting in the mud wearing a butter-churning costume. Whatever your bag is, know that you are seen and encouraged. For all are welcome here in The Deep Night. Hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm so pleased to be your guide, guru, and man who can't stop touching his beautiful, supple face as we travel tonight through the next hour of regrets and revelations we call The Deep Night. Oh, I hope you've washed your hands and ears before listening to this show. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And don't worry about my nightly swims in the Gowani. Because of those midnight skinny dips, I've bolstered my immune system. I'm positively riddled with unusual sex diseases. But I ain't catching that pangolin flu. Today on the program, I welcome comedian Jolie Darrow. I've been having such inspiring conversations with people of late. I suppose I always do, but these last few have been really resonating with me, vibing at my frequency. To find oneself on the outside, but then somehow find a path through it. To have overcome or dealt with hardship or moments of great doubt or anxiety, and then to pull all the threads of yourself into one whole and move forward, however briefly, well, I admire it greatly. Jolie is a performer and comedian who, by all accounts, is right where she needs to be and always wanted to be, making politically astute comedy for the digital age. She co-hosts a monthly show in Brooklyn called Gamer Bait, a comedy show in a gamer's basement. Jolie is also one of the main video contributors for a popular humor site, Hard Drive. And she writes for the viral Twitter character Ace Watkins, Oh, to write for a viral Twitter character who is also running for president. The, the character's running for president, not Jolie, although who knows anymore. I encourage you to place your virtual clean hand in mine and let us travel ever further into the deep night in my conversation with Jolie Darrow. Jolie Darrow, how are you? 
doing good. Good. Welcome to the deep night. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. The studio is cool. Isn't it just? Yeah. It's always slightly too warm, but I think that brings out great conversation. <laughs> yeah, just sleepy, nice, sleepy, dreamy conversation. <laughs> That's right. And uh, it's so exciting to have you here. And whenever I have somebody from uh, Philadelphia or thereabouts, oh, I get excited. I get excited because we can talk about that. Uh, nobody bakes a cake as tasty. As a tasty cake. Oh, very true. I actually just, uh, I was in the market next to my house. We have the, or next to my apartment. We have this awesome 24 hour, like fancy, weird, bougie grocery store in the middle of Bushwick. Yes. And they have, they're selling tasty cake, which is wild. And they're selling cinnamon bun tasty cake, which I didn't even know existed. I don't even know that I've had that. I I certainly have not. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm I'm very excited to try it. I feel like we should stop doing this and go and buy one. Uh, yeah, I'm game. <laughs> That's my love of tea. Every day for lunch, I had a tasty cake pie. Is that true? Yeah, well, yes, and let me say it catches up with you. Yeah, I'm sure it does. <laughs> As a young person, it was easier. <laughs> now, Julie, give me a sense of it. Uh, you grew up outside of Philadelphia. Yes, so Sa- I grew up in South Jersey in a town called Marlton. Most people don't know Marlton, but they know Cherry Hill, which is yes. next door to Marlton. It has a great mall. has a great mall there. Cherry Hill, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time at the Cherry Hill Mall as oh, a really? kid. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, uh, if you listen to past episodes, you know I, I love the mall. I <laughs> <laughs> was employed by a mall and uh, spent a lot of time there. Yeah. It doesn't hold the same uh, fascination, I don't think, for young people today. I don't think so. Well, it's funny. I was... What's the show? Oh, Euphoria. So I was watching Euphoria on HBO. Have you seen Euphoria with Zendaya? No, I know what it is, but okay. I, I have not watched it. So I was watch. There's an episode where the they're at the mall, and that was like, so so they're all kind of like wild, wacky teenagers. Like it's really heightened. But the moment I stopped believing it was when they were at the mall. I'm like kids don't go to the mall anymore. <laughs> no, my mall was just a, like a medical place. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason to go there. It's like a ghost town. That's wild, yeah. It's very strange. It to... is strange. I was at, um, I used to nanny when I still lived in Philly. Yeah. Because I moved after I graduated, moved home, and then moved to Philly proper. And I was nannying. And one day, they, the family I worked for set me on an errand at Cherry Hill Mall, uh-huh. which is like 20 minutes outside of Philly. And it was such a strange nostalgic thing. It, it was like a ghost town. It did feel like a ghost town, but it like brought back all of this angst, and suddenly I was like weirdly angry. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> angry? Well. <laughs> yeah, I have many levels of contact with our local mall. Uh, my father helped build some of it. He's a carpenter. Is that true? And uh, my mother worked there for a while. I worked there. And so I remember when the fountain was here and when the thing playground was there and when the ice cream place was here and the they had a little garden you could sit in and enjoy. <laughs> they tried many things to retain people or to move people through that place. Sure, and then and, the internet came and crushed it all. And all for naught. Mm-hmm. They did a big expansion, and I'll tell you, ruined it. Unbelievable. Ruined it. That's awful. Oh, we could wax nostalgic <laughs> for uh, But uh, our youth is gone. It changes. Everything's moving constantly. Sure. Yeah. And then we, but uh, we try. We try to find things that we can latch on to. We try to find communities we can be a part of. And I gather maybe that was comedy for you. Yeah, definitely. So growing up for, you know, when I was a kid, I did theater my entire life. And that was definitely a a big source of community for me. I mean, I, my first 
play or musical was when I was five years old. I did the Music Man. Oh. And the fu- the my the only memory I have of being in the Music Man as a five year old was um are you familiar with the the show at all? Friend, you're talking to <laughs> Professor Harold Hill. Am I at <laughs> I need an autograph. Then. I know. Yeah, I. Uh, there's once a, this, and always is how I assume that role. It never leaves you. <laughs> it never leaves. You. <laughs> but there's a the. Song. I'm selling some band instruments to some kids out there. <laughs> I'll have to buy one. <laughs> In Flatbush. Yeah. Anyhow. So um, there's the song, Tr- you know, trouble. Yes. And I was, you know, town town kid ensemble. And they gave me, at the time I didn't understand the gag, but only as I've gotten older, uh, the bit was they had me, a five-year-old, hold a beer bottle in that song. Oh. And I never understood what the prop was, but I was just so (laughs) excited to have a prop. It felt very important. Uh, And now I understand the joke was it was a five-year-old with a beer bottle. Yes, and that's the devil's work sure. right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Can you can you do you still remember all of the the song, <laughs> the the <laughs> intro? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was trying to pimp you out to remember do it. Remember the main Plymouth Rock and the Golden Rule. Mm-hmm. Do 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 do. The problem with that for me was that I had the tape and I would learn from the tape. Yeah. So I memorized to the tape. Now the tape is at one speed. The high school band was at another <laughs> speed. <laughs> and so the first night I got up there to really do the thing i was off to the races because i was really going and the, the band couldn't keep up and i realized i was several several measures ahead wow but uh, i still love it if i if i'm in the shower or something i'll sing some of those songs yeah. you know i like those songs it's catchy it's a good it's a good show it's a good one yeah. so that was did you feel like that was the path you were a bit early at five did you pursue that as in college and that kind of thing yeah well so it's funny because so my sister was also my sister's five years older than me and she was also very into the Theater. My whole fa- we're a theater family. We're a show business family. Showbiz family. We sure are. My my dad from Marlton. Yeah, from Marlton. <laughs> my dad is I. My dad's a journalist um, uh, and an entertainment writer. Uh-huh. Um, and he wasn't always on a theater beat, but when I got older, when I was in high school, he did. He was he had a theater beat in Philly Daily News. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And my mom produced community theater, and so like we were all very involved. Um, but my dad always joked, it's funny, my sister pursued musical theater for, call or tried to for yeah. college, she eventually switched majors. Um, but he always said, you know, Alexa had all the natural talent, um, <laughs> and it wasn't very apparent in me f- from a young age, but mm-hmm. as I got older and did more of it, he, finally he was like, no, you really got it, you really got it. So <laughs> luckily, eventually, there was there was support there. But Did he I, not see the beer bottle gag? He did. That's the thing. He didn't. I don't think he could recognize my genius. Uh, the way I held it, yeah. honestly, yeah. I think anyone else could have. But maybe he was just blinded by, you know, the familial. Aspect Sometimes of it's it. those closest to us <laughs> that we have the hardest time seeing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I I did theater forever, and then, and I you know, middle school thought I wanted to be a Broadway star. But the problem, one of the problems was I cannot dance. <laughs> I cannot dance at all. Um, and then the other thing is I started taking voice lessons. I, I definitely had a lot of natural abilities with acting and some with singing. Started taking voice lessons, went to one of like the most esteemed voice coaches in South Jersey. Everyone went to him. Yeah. Um, and he fired me. <laughs> As an eighth grader, he fired me because I did not try enough was the problem. I tell you, some of those old guys around there, that were instructors and that kind of thing. They 
were tough. Yeah, they they yeah, were a tough. mean at that era. They, I mean, yeah. I have some years on you, but I mean, I had a, a instru- musical saxophone in, uh, instructor. Yeah. If I didn't get the right note, he'd hit me over the head with his flute. <laughs> he was one of these Philly orchestra guys. Classic. <laughs> you only find you only find that in Philly, really. You only find the true the true grit of that in Philly. Right. You wouldn't think it would exist with the flute player, but there it is. Yeah, <laughs> a little seed of rage coming That's, out. I mean, that is that is the rage that inspired gritty. Yeah, yes, <laughs> the embodiment. Yeah. of it. Truly, uh, but yeah. So I, um, I definitely wanted to pursue that for a while and then I saw my sister go through it my sister you know auditioned and uh, like I said I couldn't dance but it's like maybe there's still hope um <laughs> she went through all the auditions didn't really have a lot of like it was just a hard struggle and then ultimately wound up dropping out of theater and so I think there was like a real fear in me about pursuing that in a real capacity and so when I got to college I was I stopped doing theater and anything completely um and it was like, I'm a real person. I ha- I must be real now. <laughs> and I studied political science. Oh. Yeah. It's quite a swerve. Sure, sure was. Well, yeah. here's the thing I've realized now as I've gotten older is I became obsessed with politics. I mean, I was in high school during, um, you know, Obama, Obama getting elected. Uh-huh. And there was such like a new energy around politics and for people my age. And it was just so exciting. And I, I started consuming, you know, all the political comedy stuff and so I would watch Colbert and Jon Stewart and I was obsessed with it and I thought I want to be as smart as them Uh I thought I thought it was a I wanted to be that because uh, they were so funny and so smart so I'm going to study politics not realizing I think I just wanted to be a comedian (laughs) well there is a theatricality to all of it that is very appealing Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's similar to like law some people get in that way or some people go to advertising or something where there's this uh, performative convincing you of your idea and mm-hmm. like rehearsing lines making sure you nail it yep. presenting a, a part of yourself to it all that may seem obvious but uh, I could see why one would be attracted and it's interesting to me to hear Obama forward uh, because of course my high school was a few years before <laughs> and, and so growing up in more the Clinton era and in the time where you had like I didn't look to political comedians, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but the people I had were like Capital Steps and Mark yeah. Russell mm-hmm. and whoever the people with the puppets uh, were, like Margaret Thatcher jokes. <laughs> uh, but I was also fascinated by it from a young age yeah. and really locked into it for some reason, uh, watching the, 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 the conventions and things with my grandparents and them shouting at the screen, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there there really is a theatricality to it. It's funny you say capital steps because I <laughs> I went to school uh, near DC and I had I emailed when I I started kind of considering the world of comedy. I emailed them asking if I can intern with the capital. I had no idea like what to do, and I I just. I emailed them, like, can I intern for you? And I never heard back. Oh, well, they're lost. <laughs> yeah, truly. <laughs> Are they still around? I, no clue. No, I, no I imagine idea. so. Probably. I feel like they're one of those institutions that, like... Just runs. W- right. They'll, they'll run and they won't die out until the boomers die out. True. Yeah. Yep. Or some kind of sexual scandal brings somebody down. Oh, yeah. That's probably... <laughs> Seems to be the way of things. Yeah, that's inevitable. But I mean, probably a new generation will come up, though. Sure. It's like a radio thing, right? Um, they do like a lot. I don't know if they do a radio thing. They definitely do a live show yeah. that I saw 
um, when I was down there. But yeah, there were my first foray into political comedy, yeah. live political comedy. But you really, you haven't given that up. No, I guess That's not. That's still there. Yeah, it's funny because for, I mean, I, you know, a dream would definitely still be to write for, um, you know, one of the, the late night shows or um, something where I'm writing monologue jokes, things like that. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I weirdly have found a strange other path into political <laughs> comedy, which is political gaming comedy. All right, so let's <laughs> let's get into Shall it. Shall we dive in? Let's get into it because uh, uh, I don't. Uh, how how did that take root? The gaming part was the gaming already happening. So the ga- so this is this is wild. So it's funny because so much of my like online persona now is very rooted in the gaming world. Strangely enough, um, but I am not. I mean, as a kid, I definitely gamed a lot. Um, yeah. What was the console? Uh, yeah, so first one was Sega Genesis. Okay. You know, we a lot of Sonic going on. Um, the second one, this is the most 90s sentence you'll ever hear. <laughs> Oops. It's uh, time for me to talk about the 90s, <laughs> according to my watch. According to the digital watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yes, okay. So the most 90s sentence you'll ever hear is, we sold all of my Beanie Babies to buy a Super Nintendo. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so we got a Super Nintendo, played a ton of that, and then played a lot of like online PC games. And then I eventually, I have no, I, I don't remember how or why, but I did get a PlayStation, PS1. Somehow it appeared. It did appear in my life. Um, so I did a lot of that, a lot of just being alone in my basement gaming as a yeah. kid. But then... Was, was that unusual uh, to be a young woman gaming? Um, or did it not even occur to you? It truly did not occur to me. I didn't think much about it. And this was before, I mean, this was before I think there was a real culture around like shooting games and things like that, or yeah. at least I wasn't aware of it. Like when I thought of gaming, I thought of... Um, like Crash Bandicoot, Sonic, uh, um, Mario, you know, all of that. Uh, oh, and I also had like Game Boys and things like that. Sure. So very into it. My, my theory around that is that uh, people who may be a little more sensitive, maybe on the theatrical side, enjoy the character adventure, projecting yourself into that little uh, cute furry animal that oh, is yeah. also able to do anything and be anything. Oh, absolutely. Where some, this is a generalization, but maybe some of the less well-adjusted uh, people gravitated towards shooting the things first person in a dungeon, uh, seeing the blood and gore and the, the combat uh, ones where you're just fighting each other endlessly uh, uh, with no real sense of adventure or story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it was just I don't have brothers or anything, and yeah. <laughs> it, I never saw that. I guess it was like... Maybe I'd go to a friend's house and would see it, but there wasn't, um, there was no drive to get any of those games. And again, there wasn't, I didn't see a lot of a culture around it yet. I think a few, once I got a little older, there was more of that. You were seeing in there and sort of this stereotype of the, rather than it being like the nerdy gamer, this like kind of violent gamer stereotype came around. Um, But yeah, so I, I played a lot of those and then. Um, what happened? And, and again, we I wasn't really. I remember everyone just playing video games as a kid. Like I, huh. I don't remember it really being a gendered thing until it sort of sectioned off into like a lot of those shooters and whatnot. All my friends had N sixty four, played Mario. I'd go to a friend's house. We'd play. Even my best friend, 
eventually got like DDR, <laughs> Dance Dance Revolution. Oh, yes. Okay. The, the thing you'd see at the boardwalk. They yeah. had like a home one. when the, the pad mm-hmm. or something. Uh-huh. And so that was super fun. Um, but then what happened was as I got older, the PS2 came out. Uh-huh. And um, that's PlayStation 2 for the lay people. <laughs> yes. uh, and my Blockbuster eventually stopped renting out PS1 games. Phased it out. Mm-hmm. In they phased it out. Yeah. And I begged my parents to buy me a PS2, and they would not. <laughs> and so I kind of, kind of, just fizzled out for me the gaming stuff. Uh-huh. And I stopped playing for years. I, you know, even the computer stuff, I, I didn't really have time for it. And then a couple. Also, of... a lot of them were terrible. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no. But certainly in my era, mm-hmm. and I vividly recall unpacking my Atari Fifty Two Hundred, <laughs> and I, I went back to look at this game because I thought I know I played this game, mm. and I played it to level nine hundred, and then the thing stopped, and I, you, there was no saving. Yeah. In those days, this game was called Space Dungeon, and it required both controllers and some kind of apparatus. And one was the gun, and one was the thing, and you just moved it around to little rooms. And I watched a YouTube video. Boy, is it sad! <laughs> I don't know how I played so many hours of this thing, but hearing the sounds, everything brought it right back to me. But then I recall playing things on the PC when you got an IBM clone. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and I don't mean to be this old, but I am. And just playing some kind of X-Men game that was impossible and terrible. <laughs> I think that was like a built-in thing where you couldn't get sucked into the world because you could only get past a certain level and then it was it was done. There are some games, yeah, that's the that's the thing. There are some games that are bad. And and we didn't have the, <laughs> the internet to like tell you what the good games no. were. So if you got a bad one, you just were like, well, this is games. Yeah. There was the, the Zork thing. I never get past the <laughs> opening level of it. Yeah. I couldn't choose a stick or look left or whatever I was supposed to do. I still have no idea how mm-hmm. that game is. That's the thing. When people say that, you know, people make fun of gamers for being, you know, everyone has ADHD. Everyone's got, um, they're lazy, blah, blah. It's like, you have to be really, you have to pay a lot of attention. There are games I cannot play because I don't have the attention span for them. <laughs> and I'm like amazed that people can actually keep going. And so much of it is just pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, once you see how the thing, you know, once that's the way the crocodile opens its mouth, that's, you know, when to jump on its head or right. whatever the thing is. That's the clock. Every video game has that. <laughs> exactly that thing in it. Right. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so I stopped gaming for a really long time. And then a couple of years ago, I was writing a play. I was in Philly. I was writing a play with a very good friend of mine for the Philadelphia Fringe Festival. Uh-huh. And we, I mean, this was like one of the craziest time periods of my life. I was, um, we were working 24-7. We, we had three months to write, produce, and direct a play. Um, it was a parody of Our Town. It was, a, it was a, we called it a metaphysical horror comedy <laughs> based on the play Our Town. Yes. And my, my least favorite play. Is that really your least favorite? Oh, oh, our play, the metaphysical. No, no, oh. no, no, Our Town. Our Town. You don't like Our Town? Whoa. Not a, not a fan. <laughs> really? Tell me about your hatred so of our town. No, I just it's too I, it's too I don't know it's too simple or something. Hmm. I don't uh, I don't see that's the beauty I, of it. Maybe I would like it more now. I was gonna say when was the last person, time? Well, I've avoided it for a long time. Fair enough. I don't know the era of which is talking about doesn't feel particularly relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't it, there's no urgency to the thing. Uh, I, it's fine. I know what's going to happen when it all starts. Sure. And I don't like that. That makes sense. I would. Im- I would implore you to 
give it another shot. Okay, well, I'd like to see your version of it. It's online. It is online. Okay, I'll check that out. It's Yeah, Harrowtown's so cool because it's funny because I hadn't really thought much about it um, until my friend Jack O'Keefe, who is a brilliant writer, director, um, he was working at Bustle for a while. He's great. Um, He came to me and was like, I have this, I've had this idea forever for a (laughs) horror comedy based on Arrowtown. Um, and I want your help to write it. And at that point, you know, I dug into the play and I was like, oh, this is, it's still so relevant. Like, it's just. Really? Yeah. There, it's just, there's so many timeless things about it. And I think that's why it has had this like enduring effect in the culture. There's also a line that even I, I read it in high school and there's, um, I don't remember the exact line, but a moment in it where the, the two kids are doing homework together yeah. and um i can't it's funny i can't even remember the names of the actual characters at this point because of my version <laughs> but the the young man character says the the young girl um you know i hate doing homework and she says i like it because it helps pass the time and i remember that specific moment in the place really sticking with me because just like the idea of all the things we do to just pass the time of life when mm-hmm. in reality we don't have that much time on earth. And I think there's something so special and like deep about that. I could talk about our town for a long time well, and I'm I intrigued. won't, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we started writing this play to get back to video games. Yeah, yes, but, the important stuff. Yeah. Uh, but uh, hopefully you kill everybody off in that play. We, we kill a lot of people yeah, okay, off in that play. Good. Um, the, the big twist, spoiler alert for the one of you who will will maybe go on YouTube and watch our play is we halfway through, we wind up killing off all of the main cast and we only leave the, the sort of secondary characters. Much more interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. But we were writing it and it was just kind of really high anxiety time for me. And my friend Jack is very into gaming and he, um, as a joke, one day I was like, I want to play a video game. Put on a put on a game for me. <laughs> and he put on a game called Inside, which is, um, if anyone's played Limbo, is the same developer as Limbo is a little bit more popular. But it's super bizarre. It's a uh-huh. really bizarre side-scrolling video game, and it has it, it's just really weird. But it's really interesting, and it's like. really artful and it was the first time I realized like oh video games are an art form this is a cool game it's really interesting and then soon after we finished the play I had a lot of other stuff going on and not to get too deep and personal but I went through a very intense anxiety uh time in my life I Mm -hmm. like was really extremely anxious and at one point I was so anxious I could not I could barely leave the house I would um, just uh, like sit in, fe- not fetal position, but like the, the imagery of, um, I would just kind of sit in a walk-in closet in my house in Philly, uh, and the only thing that would get me out of my head was doing that and playing video games, and that was like the first time I really started getting back into it was just like, it was this moment of relief for me mm-hmm. to finally be able to like not be in my brain and my body just like in a game and I just found like some incredible incredible games. Was that a sense of uh, uh, control? Loss of control? 
I, yeah, I think it was just, I had a lot of anxiety for me was like, so, um, physical and so like I could just feel it in my body at all times and so I was trying like a new medicine and it was just it was really difficult related and to career we don't have to get too far into it, but yeah related to your career related to uh the theatrical pursuits yeah I think it was I think it was a just sort of accumulation of a lot of things I think I wasn't dealing with a lot of like anxiety I've had my entire life and it sort of I was in this like kind of overdrive where I was just constantly going, going, going. And then when the play ended, I think I crashed. Mm -hmm. And it was this like intense physical, like I just felt this intense burnout and like everything flooded me at once. And everything I had been putting off for a very long time dealing with just hit me. And I could not do anything but sit in my house and game. And it was right. this really amazing, like, um, yeah, I don't know if it was control or just something. I think movies and TV are just too passive. And the beauty of video games is you're actively in them. You have to pay attention if you yeah. want to do it. And it's kind of like reading. But even reading, you can sort of zone out during. Like, I've read a whole page. And everyone experiences this. You'll read a page of a book and realize you have not actually been reading. Right, thinking about something else. But with the gaming team, I think it also has, like, an adrenaline release. I yeah. think it has some kind of it, – it, it works on the anxiety in a different way. Mm -hmm. Because you're in there – I get anxious when there's monsters or mm -hmm. something in the mm -hmm. game. Uh, when something suddenly appears at, at me or something. So I experience the anxiety, but as that character, I don't know. It kind of uh, bleeds yeah. it in a way that perhaps is healthy. Yeah, I think so. It is definitely this, like, control. It's like, you know, the thing of, the same thing as, like, a roller coaster. It's like a controlled fear, controlled, anx uh, yeah, anxiety sort of situation. Um, it's also, I think, like, there's the the nice like dopamine and like serotonin boost that come with it where sure. you solve a puzzle and it's like oh I did it <laughs> and also the the completionist aspect I think there's so many things in life and so many things especially in a uh, pursuing a career in the arts that are so not clear and so the the route is so confusing the options are endless and there's something and this is also why I don't like games that um, like for example Stardew Valley is a really popular game where you build your own farm and you um it's a whole thing and i don't like s games like that because i don't like have to having to decide anything i like games that just tell me like here's what you do to beat the thing <laughs> and you have to figure out how to beat the thing but you will beat the thing if you keep going and that's not a guarantee in life i want to come back to the the, mm -hmm. the path and to getting to the political part mm -hmm. but let's take a moment to just explore within that thing that you just said uh, a game that I have played uh, quite a lot, which is Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, oh, my goodness. How about that game? It's a perfect game. It's a perfect game. And uh, uh, my goodness, do you, does this happen to you? When you're looking at a like a landscape photo or those drone photos on Apple TV <laughs> over various uh, world sites, I imagine flying in with my little parachute uh, or yeah. climbing up on the rocks whenever Absolutely. there's a sea, an ocean uh, rocky cliff kind of thing. I think I could climb that. <laughs> If it's uh, not raining, I'd be fine on that thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. But if it rains, you gotta wait. You just gotta wait it you out. Gotta wait it you out. gotta wait it out. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a perfect. It's a perfect game. It's a perfect game. It's beautiful. It, it's not only is it beautiful. It is 
I mean, it's got any, and, and it is open world. Like I was actually, so I was um, with some gaming friends this weekend. I yeah. say, game, I, every time I say gaming, I roll my eyes. It's this weird, it's this weird thing. It's like <laughs> such a self-deprecating thing. Um, but I was with some friends this weekend, and we were, ta- we were talking about how even though it is open world, and you can, you do have all these unlimited choices. There, it, you're one character. You know ultimately the end goal, goal is to defeat Ganon but, but like being able no matter where you go in the game there's something you can conquer yeah. there's a temple there is you can get a horse you can um try and climb a mountain there there's just like all these little mini challenges you can sled using your shield Sledding, yeah it's it's a it's a good game i i think like it thinking about the game brings me joy it does sometimes i get a little i can't uh i don't want to spend time in the light of that game. Uh, I don't know how to explain that, but the, there's a, a quality to the light. And I know it cycles through day and night mm-hmm. all the time, but there's something about it where I, I, I can't enter that. I'm not in the right space to enter that based on the just the quality of the light. I don't know what that is. Huh. But most of the time, oh, I mean, I've also spent how many hours playing yeah, this game? It's I... a game you just... I mean, what am I doing now? Shooting at dragons to try and make better armor from that very weird fairy. Have you beaten it? Yes. I have. So this is the craziest thing. I have 300 hours in the game, something like that. <laughs> I have not beaten it. I refuse to beat it. There's yeah. something. And I also don't have the DLC. I should get the DLC. The DLC is fun. I've heard it's fun. And I got it. And now I have a motorcycle. Yeah, I want the motorcycle. You can also get if you get an amiibo. We're getting we're we're, we're really talking. getting in the weeds. We're getting in the weeds. But if you get an amiibo, you can get a a dog that is Link. Apparently, Link dog. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I just there's, can't. But the point is, there's so much to it, mm-hmm. and you can really just you can wander. Yeah. You never have to do a single thing, and I gather yeah. the horses were a big part for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you I have d- all the horses. I have all the horses. Okay. Yeah. The really weird big one. Yeah, I have the weird big one. Um, he's not you, like the the fun thing about the weird big one is like once you have him, there's not really much to it. It's just like now you have the big one, which is cool. But it's but uh, the other thing too is you can like mount other things as well. So like you can't capture them, you can't keep them really. Oh yeah. But um, like you can ride a bear if you yep. find a bear. That yep. was exciting. That was a good day. <laughs> that was a good day, wasn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I was. I loved the horses. I did a, a solo show based on. Uh, or, or not an entire solo show, but a, a you know thirty minute show based on my horses from Zelda, which is very <laughs> odd. Um, I I named them all after book club ladies. So there was Jan, there was Brittany, Ro- Robert was like probably you know um, like a divorcee that was part of the book club. Yeah, hoping to meet women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yes. exactly. Um, and he, yeah, I love Robert. But yeah, the the horses were really cool, and I, I like giving them their own personalities. I did a whole show about how I gave them all their own personalities, and then I did monologues as the horses. Very bizarre. My brain is not a place you want to spend too much time <laughs> in. But but as you say in that thing, the horses are not an integral part of the game, really. No, not at all. <laughs> They're, you could theoretically go the entire game without having a horse and it wouldn't really affect anything <laughs> you'd be fine. yeah you'd be fine uh but the horse there's just something so fun about getting on a horse in the game and like 
mounting it and conquering it, and it, now it's yours, and you get to name it and change its hairstyle. I know. I got to do that. I haven't really done much with the hairstyle. You got to get you got to get a mohawk for your horse. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna do that. So You're making me want to play it now. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, it's it's wonderful. I've been and then gone back to do the other other things, and it's still it's still enchanting. Yeah. When are they going to come out with it? The there's, next one. There's a it, there is a new one coming out. Cannot come soon enough. No, not at all. It needs to come. I wish it were coming out tomorrow, but there's so many games to play in the meantime. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, speaking just one last thing on that, that anxiety I'm talking about, if that guardian hits me with that red light. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. So much anxiety. Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety. It the, surges. Yeah, the first time I played, too, that the um, the first time you're encountering certain beasts before you know anything about them, it's, it's horrifying. It's yeah. so scary. The Lionel. Yeah, the Lionel. I still haven't defeated it. I just avoid them altogether. Oh, yes. I do, Better to do that. Yeah. And uh, now this is the Breath of the Wild segment. Ah, <laughs> uh, it feels good to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. <laughs> I feel like I like I was saying I was with my my gaming friends this weekend. Every time again, uh, you're gonna get through that where you don't roll the eyes. Yeah, I'm gonna attest Embrace that it. every time I do it, my eyes go to the back of my head. Yeah. Um, but After we, how nerdy we just got over Breath of the Wild. Exactly. Don't roll your eyes. It's fine. Yeah, but I was saying, I was joking that I do. I definitely code switch when I'm with gaming people in the <laughs> sense that, like, in my real life, I don't talk at all about gaming for the most part. But yeah. over the weekend when I was with them, the whole weekend, I, we pretty much only talked in gaming metaphors. <laughs> it can take over your life in a very strange way. The best thing uh, as a young person for me, not the best thing, but a really great thing, would be to have a three-day weekend. Order in some Domino's pizza and just Final Fantasy out. Mm. You know, just play it all the way through. Mm-hmm. I never got into Final Fantasy. Again, I, I missed a lot of that, yeah. That especially like the that. community stuff. I think I would, too. Again, I, it's, some games I think I just have to avoid because I know they will ruin my life. Some would just take too much time. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. have responsibilities in the real world. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing as, like, as an adult now. Like, as a college kid, I would, like, you know... Uh, not to blow up my own spot, but, you know, I would, like, sometimes have weekends where I do some drugs with my friends, take some hallucinogens. Sure. I haven't done it in years and years because it's like I'm an adult. I don't have just <laughs> a day to give over to the universe. Yeah. Same thing with gaming. Yeah. I don't have a whole day for gaming. Did those two ever converge? No. There are separate separate periods can't, can't of my do life. It, can't do it. So, uh, okay. So then how does this uh, other political thing come in with the gaming? Because political yeah. gaming, to me, uh, I don't know what that actually looks like. Sure. It does not sound like it would be a thing, and yet here we are. <laughs> um, so I started about, probably about a year ago, um, I began writing and doing work with a political, or sorry, not a political, a gaming set satire site called hard drive which is an offshoot of the hard times which is the un is it's basically punk rock onion they have a <laughs> site called hard drive which does um satirical gaming articles because gaming is this like insane huge industry um and so it's basically onion but games now onion does have their own gaming site but sure. it's not particularly particularly po- popular um, but I started getting involved with them because I pitched them an idea for a weird video I wanted to go and make where I cosplay as the hotel staff at a, uh, cosplay convention called Dragon Con. And they're like, yeah, sure. Go down and make it. And so I started working with them. 
And then over the summer, Hard Drive released a, they created a satirical presidential candidate named Ace Watkins, who is the only gamer running for president. And yeah. because um, Beto dropped out. Yeah, Beto dropped out, <laughs> and we needed someone. We needed someone young and hip. Yeah. And Ace Watkins is a, um, everyone thinks he's not a real person. He isn't a real person. He's a character, but he's played by an actor named Phil Jameson. Um, and so they released that. They created that. And I was still, I was kind of writing for them, wasn't super involved in any of the production or, you know, really in that world yet. But I wound up, they put up a Twitter account for Ace Watkins and within the first day, he had like a couple thousand followers. And then I had a tweet that wound up going mega viral for this character. For Ace. For yes. Ace um, that I had pitched. And I think they liked some of the content I was putting out. And they asked me to get a little more involved. Um, but yeah, he now has over 200,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> we are... And it's it's honestly the easiest dumbest joke and somehow it has continued for over eight months now um but he proposes things as a candidate like single player health care yeah um uh, some of it the the tweet that i had that went really viral on the first day was um the idea that the adobe suite needs to be nationalized that everyone should have free access to the adobe suite um, You're not wrong. I'm not wrong. That's yeah. the thing. Every a hundred thousand people thought I was right. Which which begs the question: How would Ace do as an actual candidate? Uh, well, it's it's so funny because he's so he's so left. He's basically everyone makes a comparison that he's Bernie but gamer. Uh huh. Um, because he basically is. We're all very left leaning people who are working <laughs> on the Ace campaign, um, and he is. And that's the cool. This is, I think, why it's been so successful. The joke is because there is this misconception in pop culture, and it's not wrong. There, There's this idea that gamers are toxic. Everyone's toxic. There's a lot of, I mean, Gamergate was a huge thing a couple years ago where, you know, women in video games were getting doxxed, and um, there's just this real idea that gamers are hateful, racist, homophobic people, which a lot of them are. I'm not going to say that doesn't exist. A lot of people are. A lot of people are, exactly. Right. And somehow, it, you know, there's this weird, you know, there's a lot of incel culture in gaming, yada, yada. But the thing about Ace is because we are trying to make him a left-leaning liberal character, people gravitate towards him because everyone's a game not everyone's a gamer but actually that's one of uh ace's stock lines is no matter who you are you are a gamer um the reality and uh make believe uh, yeah collapsing a little bit for exactly. you exactly yeah. but it but it doesn't the viral toxicity does not represent most of the population they just happen to be the loudest and so for example this happened just last night um anytime a political candidate drops out of the race ace will comment on their you know tweet announcing that they've dropped out he'll say f which is um 
a reference to streaming, uh, being in a chat. Anytime someone writes F, it's sort of like acknowledging that they've lost, but it's a respect thing. So like, let's get an F in the chat. Um, so Ace will go on and just re- tweet reply F, and it always gets thousands of likes. And <laughs> so last night he tweeted F on because we're we're talking the day after Pete Buttigieg has dropped out of the race. Yes. Ace commented F on the article saying that he had dropped out. Someone wrote, someone toxic and terrible wrote F4 and used a slur, uh, you know, a slur for a gay person. Yeah, some kind of homophobic thing. A homophobic slur. And the response to that tweet from Ace was, this tweet sucks. The this tweet sucks tweet got more, like got 5,000 likes or something. (laughs) More than the actual F tweet got. And so it's just, and people love that. You know, we have, we were at PAX East this weekend, which is a video game conference. And we had a line of people waiting to meet him. And we had a lot of people who um, asked him to, you know, get on camera and say trans rights, get on, um, you know, sign their vape pens, things like that. (laughs) And and it's just, it's really cool to, for people and young people to have like this, liberal version of a gamer out there. Right. And uh, it prompts several questions from yeah. One, uh, It's a confusing thing. There's a lot of questions. Oh, well, yeah, that too. But uh, should Twitter be viewed as a gaming platform? Hmm. In or what as sense? as a game? Well, do people... I feel like there's a, a certain sense of um, uh, engaging with it mm-hmm. uh, in a way that is... Not totally true. You're kind of projecting some kind of version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's some people go into it with an aim of uh, puncturing or uh, deflating or ruining or canceling or whatever. Some people maybe lift up. Some people, it seems like they don't. that doesn't enter their mind that this is all kind of a, uh, a system with a potential outcome. Yeah. But it, I've never thought of it that way before. But as you're talking, it suddenly, it suddenly occurred to me that, oh, do people view this? As a game, I th- I think yes. I I mean, even just you saying that, I sometimes I'll joke that um, because I have you know uh, close to two thousand followers on Twitter, not a lot of followers, but you know, um, when, before I had a thousand followers, I joked that I was to get a thousand, I was playing the Twitter game, which was a lot of just following people and. I'm not a shitty person who I'll follow a bunch of people and then unfollow them. But I do occasionally do the thing where I'll follow someone, and if they don't follow me back, then I'll unfollow them. Because uh-huh. it is a game. It's numbers. And it's like, especially as comedians, as public-facing people, we want to be seen as important and have our voice out there. And right. that we're, you know, especially when you have industry people looking, they want to see that you have numbers. So... It is a game. It's like right. you're playing the Twitter game. You're trying you to get, get the coins. You got to get the coins. You got to get. <laughs> you got to get that dopamine surge uh, when you get enough coins for people to respect you. Yeah, yeah, huh? And uh, but the Ace character exists across multiple platforms. See, yeah. it's, it's not just Twitter. Not just Twitter. Started Twitter. Um, it definitely, yeah, it definitely evolved from Twitter, but. Now we have a podcast, which we recently started. Um, we do a live show. We're almost show. out of them, so it's good. To- <laughs> yeah, we got one of the last ones, good, one good. of the last slots, which is great. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Got in there just in time. Uh-huh. 
Um, we do a live show um, occasionally, which is what we did at PAX. We did half panel, half live comedy show. Uh-huh. Um, and we, you know, we filmed a couple things. We're trying to put together some, you know, more TV oriented things right now. So it does exist a bunch of uh, across a bunch of platforms. Um, but that's the cool thing about him is it's you can do whatever you want with this character because gaming is it's just huge and that is another reason why I think I have gotten into gaming like I love it and it's it's definitely something that is relaxing to me it's a hobby but there's also this like giant market for it Mm -hmm. and so like not to be shitty and weird but it's like this I a lot of my followers are gaming people and it's like oh if I talk about this thing people like it which I think is how a lot of people find their niche it's like sure if I talk about gaming, I get a lot more followers than when I say this, like, very specific joke that I found funny. Um, so I think that's kind of caused me to lean more in that direction. Yeah. Um, but it seems it's like just a huge. wide open space, too. Yeah, it's huge. I'm sure there's people working this way, but, I mean, I haven't heard that much about it. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's even Twitch. Twitch is such a weird, untapped market for comedy. A yeah. lot of comedians have tried to figure out how to get into it and how to make it their own, but no one's really figured that out. And you watch a lot of these Twitch streamers who are like quote-unquote comedy while they game, and they're not that funny. They just know games and know Twitch. And so it's a strange, untapped world. Uh, Comedy and gaming, it's it's just like really interesting being in this place where we're kind of paving a path for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. It is exciting. It's weird. (laughs) It's very weird. And it's like not at all. If you had told me three years ago that my career would be going in this direction, I would have laughed in your face. (laughs) Still laugh in your face. But But no, it seems like I mean, it must be unusual. And this happens sometimes with people that come in here, too, where you're you're doing the thing that you set out to do. Yeah. Which is seems impossible. It is impossible. And and, uh, also unavoidable. Yeah. So well, how amazing to be doing this thing in exactly the way that seems like you should be doing it. Yeah. When you were a kid watching John Stewart or something. Yeah, exactly. And that's the it, it, I joke sometimes that I am finally putting my political science degree to good use, where it's I get to take this thing, and it's like it's the same joke writing formula that you know they use on John Stewart or any of the late night shows, which is take a thing. Um, uh, take a topical thing, make a joke about it. Only this time, add the layer of gaming onto it, and right. it's it it never runs out. Um, and again, it's just this huge market where people just want gaming content. I think it's wonderful to have an assignment that yeah. you can actually put a lens on it, and you know exactly how that's at least that part of it's done. You yeah. talk about the pattern recognition or something. Mm-hmm. You know what the world. Like the boundaries of Breath of the Wild. You can't, you know, you get to the end of it, you can't go past it. So you have to keep it within this universe. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. And even, but it's fun because, and and something that's really fun about the people I work with. So, um, like I said, Ace Watkins is played by Phil Jameson, who's an actor. Um, Jeremy Kaplowitz, who is the editor-in-chief at Hard Drive, um, he works on it, as well as Kevin Flynn, uh, who is an Onion writer and... um, or uh, Onion headline contributor, um, they're all, 
you know, trained comedians. They've been doing this for a long time before they even also found this path of doing the gaming stuff. And so it was really fun being at PAX this weekend because PAX is like, it's so immersed in that gaming culture and not as much the comedy culture. So for people, you know, we had probably about 300 people come to our panel and we put on a comedy show for them, and they, a lot of people said this was the best, not not to like toot my own horn, but a lot of people said this was the best panel they've ever been to at PAX, but to us, it's just a comedy show. Right. We're so used to it, um, but a lot of people have never seen that, especially in their games, so I think we're exciting a lot of people who don't get to see this real professional comedic um, show for the very first time. Right, right. And that it's actually funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's super funny. And we do get we do get to foray like away from some of the the gaming stuff. Like we'll do absurd jokes. One joke that we made that I was very very proud of was um I did so I play Ace Watkins' sister, Ash Watkins, <laughs> his little bratty sister. I'm sort of a force of chaos, and I did a, a comedic presentation on the most haughty, fuckable beefcakes in video games. The, uh, uh, the, oh, the characters, the characters yes, themselves, okay. <laughs> and um, one of the motifs I, I kept going was uh, anyone who was a dad was automatically hot, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I said to the audience, name one dad that isn't hot you can't name one dad that's not hot <laughs> and someone that we you know wrote this out and someone on the panel said george hw bush <laughs> and my response was he doesn't have a son and it's you know it's so absurd and it's like it's we're taking this like absurdist comedy that we all see all the time in brooklyn and bringing it to video games it's, right. it's cool it works yeah <laughs> well and uh uh you also, as you said, you also go to the comic, uh, the co- what's the cosplay part of it? Oh yeah. I mean, you said you dressed up as a as hotel, or uh, there's something with an elevator operator. Yeah. So um, I had this idea. So a few years ago, I went to Dragon Con, which is a um, nerd culture cosplay convention down in Atlanta. And it's funny. This was before I was really doing any of the video game stuff. But we went down there because. Um, a web series that I've worked on for years called Welcome to Anadonia. Um, it's a we describe it as a punk rock puppet show. Uh-huh. We did a live show down at DragonCon. We were guests there, and we did a, a weird panel show. It was super fun. Um, and we went down there, and I everyone cosplays. Like most people there are cosplaying. It takes place in four adjacent hotels, at which the is convention. at the convention. Yeah, which is unusual for a, a convention. Um, and so it's a 24-7 party. It's not like a Comic-Con that shuts down at 7 o'clock. It's 24-7 programming. Um, everyone's always dressed up. It, it's wild. And so I was just there to do our show. wasn't really part of it. But I thought it would be funny to cosplay as a hotel staff, as the hotel staff, as the elevator operator. I just thought that would be so funny if I was dressed up as like an old-timey elevator operator and people didn't know whether or not I was real. And so I had this idea for, you know, months and finally was like, I think this would be such a funny hidden camera kind of thing, uh, prank show, I'm going to pitch it to someone and Hard Drive liked it and they said they'd put it up and then I started making other weird 
uh, trolling kind of videos. I did one where I at Comic Con last year where I um, asked the best cosplays to take pictures of me. Um, <laughs> so the idea was I went up to the most elaborately dressed people and told them I want a picture taken by them of me. And you were just dressed uh, as plain you are. clothes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I really. Um... I'm fascinated by cosplay and the same kind of theatrical attraction to that uh, yeah. per- the performative nature of it, the work that goes into all those things. It's uh, not unlike the kind of goth teens that uh, are out there and that there's a persona that's adopted, and I love my goth teen fans <laughs> <laughs> or goth adult fans, uh, and I'm here for all of the freaks, whatever the situation is. I yeah. mean that in a celebratory way. Cosplay, uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by because it takes so much time. It, it seems like the old uh, ham radio enthusiasts of old where, where you just spend some time in a garage or basement making the thing. Seems like there's, uh, you know, like a kid who just wants to dress like the thing or something and will put in the work with cardboard. Then you get uh, somebody that's out there welding a functional Optimus Prime costume that transforms. That's I'm a little scared by that. <laughs> And then you have a whole other segment of it that's like models that are uh, using sex appeal or something to sell photography yeah. <laughs> and also dressed as a phoenix or some kind of character uh, from anime that I don't know. Yeah, it's such an interesting culture. And, like, again, I've never cosplayed. I'm not part of it, but I've been around a lot of it going to these conventions. Um the the most fascinating thing to me about it is it's like to them it's like comedy to me you yeah. know it's the thing that they spend all of their time outside of the work day doing and prepping and talking about and like people and dragon con's really interesting because it's more independent than these other ones so everyone's cosplaying you know there's 80,000 people jammed into four hotels um and they are all cosplaying. They a lot of them. This is their main convention, and so they spend all year waiting for this one weekend where they can show off their costumes and let their freak flag fly. Freak flags fly. Yes. Say that eight times fast. <laughs> no, thank um, you. <laughs> and it's just really it, it's it's another thing that's like so just like video games, just like anything nerdy. Yep. It's something where. It's such a hack move to make fun of. You know what I mean? It's like, I think there's something about like the LARPing and the cosplaying and video games and all this stuff, even musical. Like, I'm a musical fan. I love theater. Um, I was embarrassed by that as a kid. Um, But like, to me, there's something just so cool and interesting about fandom and just the idea that like you just having an enthusiasm for something and anything and being it being unironic like i i love that and i think that's so special and cool and like i can and and i think that also translates to stage and theater and comedy where like even if you don't understand exactly what someone's talking about it to see someone earnestly and enthusiastically and specifically talk about something no matter what it is it's great yeah no i think that's well said and there's uh, just an appreciation of the craft mm-hmm. and the uh, ingenuity that goes into some of these things yeah i'm always impressed yeah absolutely impressed. exactly I mean, sometimes it is just a cardboard transformer yeah I mean, sure you know, good for you but uh the people that are uh well, even that 
is a, it's a genuine expression yeah. of their appreciation for something, and it's an expression of themselves. And how of themselves, and how can you put the kibosh on that? Absolutely, <laughs> and I think there's so much irony in in comedy in general, often, and um, that's something that I I used to when I did improv in Philly. Um, I there's a a friend of mine actually my friend who helped produce the cosplay video I, I make a lot and they and he also produces and writes and directs the web series Welcome to Anadonia that I do which is really cool um, but he's an, a brilliant brilliant director and he when I took a class with him down in Philly his name's Paul Trigiani he always said I would rather smile and have the audience or I would rather have the audience go aw than have the audience laugh like if you can get them in a comedy sketch to like say aw or gasp or something like that like there's something about the true and earnest emotion of that that's like so awesome and you know you have the audience then yeah yeah and yeah I think that's and earnestness is often hilarious like there's something about being just so vulnerable in yourself that is amazing anything that approaches that truth yeah exactly it's very good yeah um, and you know uh, we do live shows of this uh of this uh, podcast and so we have live events i don't know why i'm fumbling over that but we do and uh, i encourage people to cosplay as me to those <laughs> to those shows which some people have started to do i'm in and full it, cosplay right now <laughs> you are you have your turtleneck mm-hmm. on i appreciate that yeah um well uh this has been so great yeah this Julie. has been awesome this this is, is... i've really enjoyed talking to you about this and to see your path ending up and not ending because it's still going i'm but done to... <laughs> today today marks the end i well, will give up i'm glad we caught you at this last moment <laughs> But uh, as it's matured into what it is and what it shall become yeah. is uh, very positive and exciting. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, great. This is terrific. Thank you for being here. You have some shows coming up you want to tell people about or things with Ace that need to, people should follow that? Yeah. So, um, follow GamerPrez2020 on Twitter. Um, <laughs> that's where you'll get your daily dose of video game policy. Uh, you can follow me at Jolie Darrow on Twitter. Um, also... I have a show. I don't know when this will come out, but I have a show called Gamer Bay. Yeah, I really, I really dug into this gamer I thing. I think it's good. It's good. We need a thing. We need a thing to hook it onto. Got a thing. Then you can do whatever you want after sure, that. Sure, exactly. Bring my them weird, in. my our town, my weird our town parody, <laughs> my weird theater par- parodies. Um, yeah. So Gamer Bay is March fourth, Wednesday, March fourth. But we're gonna at the Brooklyn Comedy Collective. We're gonna start doing it every other week um i believe at the bcc great so um gamer look, comedy night gamer comedy night. yeah it's fun well it's um we just have stand-ups who do their thing but me and my friend play video games in the background i see okay yeah super fun um yeah that's those are the main things Good. Uh, listen to the podcast uh ace Watkins presidential hour so much good stuff. Well, let me know if you need somebody to Breath of the Wild back Inc- there. Incredible. <laughs> I will. You. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I so miss my Zelda horses. I need to head back to Highland Stables and take old Randy out for a spin. All of my horses are named Randy. 
Friends, this has been a delight. I hope you've had as much fun as I have. There's so many opportunities out there for you. Listen to what makes you tick and follow your instincts always. For instance, my instinct is that we're out of time. So until our next encounter, remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is independently produced and performed by James Bewley. Season 12 podcast icon illustrated by Lars Litaro. Deep Night Season 12 theme by Zach Gabbard. Music throughout the episode is provided by the talented roster at Haller Hills Farm in Ohio. Production studio space provided by Harvestworks here in New York City. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or tune in on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Thank you for listening, and this season, I encourage you all to leave your portals open. <laughs>